Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand now for the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 3, 13 to 14 is the text this morning. It's Philippians 3, 13 to 14. Which should be no surprise to you. This is the word of the Lord. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Be seated. So John Owen, one of our favorite dead theologians, all the best theologians are dead, wrote, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. We've all heard those words, John Owen, before. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. I like that opening, though. Do you mortify? Do you put to death? Do you mortify? These words really hit us hard because, as I was talking about in Sunday school, we are lazy, aren't we? Some more questions. Are you pressing on in your Christian walk as the Apostle Paul lays out for us here in this verse that he was pressing on, forgetting things that lay in the past and pressing on toward the upward call? Are you pressing on in your Christian walk or are you content to stay where you are right now at this moment? Are you content to live with the sins you have always lived with, to maintain a modest level of love or a slightly, you know, more modest level of lovelessness? You know, are you, are, you, will, are you happy to maintain the same level of love in your relationship with your children, in your relationship with your beloved spouse, to feel the same self-pity you've felt through your entire adult life? Are you content with that? Are you content to fill your days with the same kind of entertainment that filled your days this past year? Perhaps you think you're doing quite well. Upward and onward. It's every day just upward and onward. As you build your kingdom, as you build your influence, Perhaps even as you build your social media following. You're on the verge of making it big. The Apostle Paul may have needed to press on toward the goal, but I've got it all together. I've arrived and now I will become everybody's teacher. That's what I want to be. I want to teach everybody. 
I generally love my wife. I generally love my kids. I generally love my dog and my cat. (laughs) And people like me. When I walk in a room, eyes light up. I'm saving money. I'm winsome and edgy. I have a thick beard. (laughs) This is you I'm talking about. Mine (laughs) does not qualify. His does. But don't take pride in it. Whether our spiritual stagnation comes from fatigue after failures, you know, you just get tired after you fail, and and we stagnate, or delusions of grandeur. You know, we are sinful men who will always need to press on. We're always going to need to strive for holiness, to repent, right, and to truly repent. Repent doesn't just mean to say you're sorry. Repent means to kill a sin and turn away from it, right? And, and we need to repent. We're always going to need to repent and then seek God's face. The Word of God is given to us so that we might become adequate and equipped for every good work. The life of the follower of Jesus Christ is of necessity one of growth, sanctification, pressing on. In fact, um, I'd argue that progress in the faith, progress in holiness, is the path to contentment and happiness in this life. Contrary to the thousands and thousands of snake oils that the world would try and sell you. Right? Progress in the faith, progress in becoming holy is our happiness. That seems weird, right? Because we so often hate holiness, don't we? Our flesh fighting against that. Well, the Holy Spirit exhorts us in Philippians 3 by the Apostle Paul's example to press on no matter how young, no matter how old, right? No matter what your past, no matter who you hurt in the past, no matter what kind of education you've received, no matter what level of income you're at, no matter the color of your skin, no matter the age of your children, right? No matter the stress you're under at work, No matter how sick you have been, no matter how much pain you live with each day, no matter what afflictions you have suffered, no matter what sort of inner turmoil you have labored under and have given into, no matter the parents that he gave to you, right? No matter what suffering he has sent your way, you are called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, Ephesians 4.1, so that you may please God in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, Colossians 1.10, so that you might walk in the same manner that Jesus walked, 1 John 2. And so the Christian life is one of sanctification and growth. It's one where we, by the power of the Spirit, are actively fighting against the influence of our sinful flesh, the temptations of the world, and the wiles of the devil. And the older I get, the more I think the wiles of the devil afflict us. 
the more I see it, the more I experience it. The fight, this fight, is the first fight of the Christian. We fight this fight. The fight where we fight our own hearts, our own flesh, and our own sinful dispositions is the main, the first fight that we have to give ourselves to. Contrary to the examples that you have in much of the church. Fighting abortion, fighting government tyranny, fighting the supposed sin out there is not the first fight. You're not ready for those fights unless you have first fought yourself. Until you have, you have not given in to what you feel on a consistent basis. Those other fights, the fights out there, the fights that we see that make us feel self-righteous, um, the, those have no hope of making any difference if we have not fought ourselves first and been sanctified. By the Spirit's work, we're losing our conformity to this world, we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds, and we are proving what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, Romans 12, 2. Remember this from later in Philippians 3. Here's the situation you are in if you are in Christ. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has to subject all things to himself. Jesus will subject you under his authority, under his power, to the point where you will be transformed. And so the goal of the Christian life is conformity to Christ. The goal of this life is not merely to be happy. It's not merely to get entertained. It's not merely to be a good friend, to grow in wealth, to vote for conservatives, right? To eat and exercise, the goal of the Christian life is the painful and glorious and peaceable, fruit-bearing work of becoming more like Jesus, of sanctification. Our rigorous pursuit of sanctification is one of the primary ways that we glorify God and enjoy Him in this life. Growth in holiness is your way of enjoying God because He is holy. Owen, again, from Of the Mortification of Sin, he says, God can make the dry, parched ground of my soul to become a pool and my thirsty, barren heart as springs of water. Yes, he can make this habitation of dragons, this heart which is so full of abominable lusts 
and fiery temptations to be a place of bounty and fruitfulness unto him. In fact, that transformative work is the work he always does with every one of his children. Do you realize that? It is gloriously satisfying to the children of God. It is the love of the Father being poured out in our hearts through the Spirit. And so how do we know that the Holy Spirit is in us? How do we know that? We love what is holy. That's how you know the Holy Spirit is in you. You love what is holy. We pursue what is holy. We, we pursue holiness. We delight to express our love to God by obedience to his commands. It's not vibes. It's not feelings. It's obedience to his commands. The vibes may follow, but we express our love toward God by being as he is, which is holy. And so this, dear brothers and sisters, takes work. It's work. Like all hard work, once we see the result of our work, we take delight in it. After 12 hours of busting your knuckles, fixing your vehicle's engine, the first drive after the repair is wonderful. It's great. You know, you just, you like feel the whole machine under, under you and in your hands. You feel all the, well, you don't feel all the vibrations that you just took care of. But in, in the same way, there should be delight in seeing the fruit of availing yourself of God's means of grace that lead to your growth and holiness. You should delight to see your holiness. You know, it's taken you 20 years, but you now are consistently in the Word of God every day. Yes. Praise God. It's taken 30 years, but you are finally disgusted by pornography. Yes. Growth and holiness. It's taken years, but you are finally able to pray without wondering what message your smartphone has for you that wants to interrupt your prayers, right? It's taken years, but you're finally able to stuff your pride and say no to yourself and actually build other people up, even people you don't like, with kind words. And so that's the delight of the Christian, conformity to the sinless Son of God. You know very well at this point in my ministry that I'm, I'm thankful for the work of Jonathan Edwards back in 18th century America. You know who he is. He led many churches. He, everybody, all the intellectual muckety-mucks talk about him being a philosopher, Talk about him being a philosopher and important in science. But his first work was pastoring. That's what he gave himself to. First in New York City, then in Northampton, Massachusetts, and finally he was booted out to the little, um, little town of Stockbridge. In the years 1722 to 23, when he was a young man just entering the ministry, about 20 years old, 
He wrote 70 resolutions that he, kept, that he meant to keep, not just for the coming year, but for the rest of his life. He reviewed them at the beginning of each of the years of his life. And uh, he begins his resolutions in the way that any good student of the Word would start them, by asking God to give him the ability to keep them, praying that God would give him the heart to keep them. He wrote, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable with his will. In other words, Jonathan Edwards knew that this, his effort in his Christian walk was not so that he might merit his salvation and put God in his debt. He knew only Christ could merit and had merited that salvation for him. But he also knew that the pursuit of holiness, this pursuit of progressive sanctification, was his calling and his delight as a child of God. You want to be like dad. He knew that his pursuit of holiness is the preeminent mark of the man who is a Christian. And so in, in his treatise on religious affections, and, and that's a long treatise where he's like, how do you know someone's a believer? How do you know if their affections are genuine or not? He says this, the more a true saint loves God with a gracious love, the more he desires to love him, and the more uneasy is he at his want of love to him. The more he hates sin, the more he desires to hate it and laments that he has so much remaining love to it. The more he mourns for sin, the more he longs to mourn for sin. The more his heart is broke, the more he desires it should be broke, the more he thirsts and longs after God and holiness, the more he longs to long and breathe out his very soul and longings after God. The kindling and raising of gracious affections is like kindling a flame. The higher it is raised, the more ardent it is. And the more it burns, the more vehemently does it tend and seek to burn. So that the spiritual appetite after holiness and an increase of holy affections is much more lively and keen in those that are eminent in holiness than others. And more when grace and holy affections are in their most lively exercise than at other times. It is as much the nature of one that is spiritually newborn, to thirst after growth and holiness, as it is the nature of a newborn babe to thirst after the mother's breast, who has the sharpest appetite when best in health. Right? Those who are holy need, long more for holiness. Those who grow in holiness long more for holiness and are sad that they aren't longing more for that holiness. It's just like this incredible Growth, this, the, the gravity of growing in holiness just is exponential, or should be. And then here are a few resolutions that he made, just to remind you of these. You've heard them before. Resolve that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to the glory of God and my own good, profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence. Resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this whatever difficulties I might meet, how many, 
and how great soever. Resolve never to do anything that I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolve to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Resolve to cast away such things as I find diminish my assurance. Resolve never to speak anything that is ridiculous or matter of laughter on the Lord's day. Resolved after afflictions to inquire what I am the better for them, what good I have got by them, and what I might have got by them. And you see, Edwards was a man who desired to grow. He took the Apostle Paul's direction to examine himself seriously. He took, st- he took stock and followed Scripture's directions laid out in 2 Corinthians 13. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith, examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. If we are not making progress in the faith, brothers and sisters, we're falling back. There is no standing still, no hovering, no coasting, In the Christian life, we're in the midst of battle, and so we must play more than defense. We must turn to offense. We must take some ground. There are many forces, the world, the flesh, and the devil, all in a multitude of different guises, which, if not fought against, would delight to make you make shipwreck of your faith. These forces make standing still dangerous. Either we make progress in the faith or we make retreat from it. Progress or shipwreck. Progress or backsliding. We must feel the weight of those scriptures that warn us not to fall away, to backslide, to return to living according to the old man. Think of this in Hebrews 3. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God But encourage one another day after day as as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another. Encourage one another to what? To holiness. Encourage one another to walk in a way that's worthy of of God. But still, you know, it must be said there is as much holiness to enjoy. I just think we have it in our head that holiness is is a, is a killjoy. Holiness, for one who has been made holy and has the Holy Spirit in them, is joy, right? God is holy, and so to enjoy holiness, true holiness, is to enjoy God himself as he is holy in all his graces. I mean, how often we think of holiness as a privation, You know what that word means. We think of holiness as a privation, a lack of something. It's us having to give up all the things that we enjoy, right? But this is to live life as did Lot's wife. You remember Lot's wife? She was being saved by God, rescued from from a visible destruction, rescued from that. She was being brought near to God 
And she thought of that as a privation. She thought of that as a lack of something. And what did she lack? She lacked everything back in Sodom that she really wanted. And so what did she do? She looked back with longing on the city of Sodom. And you know the rest of the story. Her days were done. Is that how you think of holiness? A threat to all the things you actually do enjoy? Well, that's a hor- that is a horrible way. That's horrible when we do that, right? And we do that all the time. Holiness is to have God as your enjoyment. It is not privation. Pursuit of holiness is to luxuriate in the glory of God's perfections. And to begin to reflect them yourself. And so, to this end, I want to encourage all of you to examine yourselves for for the purpose of resolving to pursue holiness. Consider this work a part of your effort to forget what lies behind and reach forward to the goal that lies ahead. Consider this part of your working out your salvation with fear and trembling. This should be our joy. It's our highest joy to know God and in knowing Him to become like Him as we were originally meant to be before sin just disfigured and defiled everything. So let me make a few suggestions of godly resolutions that we can determine to keep during our lives beginning with the coming year. Now I've deviated, I've done, you guys are sick of this sermon, I know. But it's all new. I mean, all this is new, except for like four sentences. I've deviated from the, some of the suggestions in, in previous years um, and have limited myself this year to those scriptures that speak about what our ambition should be or what our desires should be, okay? And, um, but some of those from the past are as follows, and I just want to throw these out there, and some of them may strike you. Perhaps you've put some of these into practice. Tell me if you have. Tell me if, encourage me that one of these sunk into somebody here over the past 10 years, okay? Um, I hope so. Here's the quick list. Read through the entire Bible in a year. Many of you have done that. Live more openly for Christ. Three, be committed to the church and her weekly activities. Four, stop paying attention to celebrities, whether Christian or non-Christian. Keep the Lord's Day. Fight the rust... Fight the lust in your thinking. A rust would, you could fight that too. <laughs> fight the lust in your thinking. Kill inward sins of thought. Confess your serious sins to the elders of our church. Do not allow the shame of past sins to color the present. Finally, share the love of God in Christ to that person you've been avoiding. Invite one person to church every month. And then I think the following year it was invite two people to church every month. And now I've dropped it. (laughs) Tithe faithfully. Twelve, verbalize something for which you are thankful to God every day. Verbalize it out loud. Thirteen, pray faithfully. Fourteen, defeat one besetting sin. Fifteen, pursue biblical masculinity and femininity in our homes. 16, cut in half the time spent on phones and social media. That's being gracious. 17, fast for the purpose of prayer. 
18, pray individually before Lord's Day worship each Sunday. Pray on the Lord's Day before worship. And I'm not ashamed to say it, pray for me, the one who's going to be preaching the Word of God, or whoever it may be up in the pulpit preaching the Word of God. You should pray for them. Uh, 19, uh, practice hospitality regularly. 20, pray with your spouse regularly. 21, talk to strangers. So perhaps your conscience was struck by some of those. Put them into practice. Now I'm going to add five more this year that come directly from Scripture in the New Testament that tell us what we should have as our ambition or what we should desire. And perhaps we could memorize a few of these verses. The first one is be pleasing to the Lord. Be pleasing to the Lord. Wake up in the morning and say, today is a day where I can be pleasing to the Lord. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. And so what does it mean to make our ambition to be pleasing to the Lord? In the context of the passage, which is about mortals groaning for immortality, or the Christian in this life desiring to finally move from living in the falling world to being home with the Lord. It means to live in a godly manner the balance of your days before you arrive home to be with the Lord. It means to always be thinking of what pleases the Lord and to make the pursuit of those things our delight. In a nutshell, it means this, shifting from determining what we say, think, and do from our feelings and entitlements to determining what we say, think, and do from God's revealed will in the Scriptures. To have ambition is to be pleasing to God is to prize God's commendation, to live to glorify Him. It is to truly think of His Son as the pearl of great price. To have ambition to be pleasing to God is to cease living merely to please yourself. It is to be like a child who wants nothing more than his father to be impressed with how well he did the job his father asked him to do that morning. It is to prize holiness above success and obedience above indulgence. So that's the first one. Um, Resolve to be pleasing to the Lord. Second, Lead a quiet life. Lead a quiet life or be content with a quiet life. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 to 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Calvin says this about the verse. This, therefore, is the best means of a tranquil life. When everyone, intent upon the duties of his own calling, discharges those duties which are enjoined upon him by the Lord and devotes himself to these things, while the farmer employs himself in rural labors, the workman carries on his occupation, and in this way everyone keeps within his own limits. So soon as men turn aside from this, everything is thrown into confusion and disorder. He does not mean, however, that everyone shall mind his own business in such a way as that each one should live apart, having no care for anybody else, but has merely in view to correct an idle levity, idleness, to correct idleness, which makes men noisy bustlers in public, 
who ought to lead a quiet life in their own homes. <laughs> so draw your application from that. Do we tend to be involved in other people's business today? I mean, everybody, we're all voyeurs, right? Social media has made all of us voyeurs, but we're all people who unclothe ourselves in front of everybody else in the world, right? And so um, social media has not helped this situation. We overshare, we overreact to what other people have shared. We despise people for what they share. We, just, we get jealous of what they share. Oh, they got a vacation this year. They got to go on a cruise. All this stuff. We ought to be ambitious to attend to our own business. Just to do what we are called to do with the gaze of the Lord in mind and not the gaze of other people. And notice the commendation in that verse of manual labor. If you have a job that does not require manual labor, like mine... Um, that would not include the trades, and that would not include motherhood. Find some time to give yourself to working with your hands. Um, build basic furniture for your house that, you know, the angles are off on. Learn how to paint. Um, change your own oil. Uh, do something that you normally hire out. Why? Because the Word of God commends manual labor. It's right there. Um, we will find that, when, that we use our time in a more God-honoring way and that we sleep better when we've used our body's strength. And manual labor helps with that. Stop building virtual objects on your computer. And do something useful, right? For nothing, again, Calvin, listen to this and apply this to um, world building games. For nothing is more unseemly than a man that is idle and good for nothing, who profits neither himself nor others and seems born only to eat and drink. <laughs> oh. Three, resolve, build up one another and do not tear down one another. Romans fourteen nineteen says, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That's what we pursue. Again, the context is helpful. Just a few verses before this, the apostle uh, Paul says, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Whoa, okay. In other words, in things indifferent, like what you eat and the things you prefer, you ought to hold them loosely and not, as Calvin puts it, prefer meat, a worthless thing, to Christ. I mean, our preferences cause us to be at odds with one another, don't they? Whew! I mean, how we hate the weakness of our brothers when it impinges on our own freedom and our preferences and likes. We hate that. Our liberty, though, our liberty is not the be-all, end-all of a happy life. 
we ought to give up our liberty to protect the consciences of others. And in regard to this, remember the words of the Apostle Paul elsewhere. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Yikes. Seriously? And that was after the sheet of pork came down from the sky. That included bacon. The minute you make anything indifferent, food, vaccines, alternative medicine, college football team affiliation, the issue which you give or withhold your affection to your fellow Christians, you know, on that basis of, is the minute you are in sin. You prove that meat is more important to you than Christ and his atoning blood. So examine yourself in this. Where are you despising your brother because he holds a different opinion on something indifferent than you? Where is somebody disagreeing with you in a place where Christians can legitimately disagree? There are a a million areas. Fourth, resolve, run away from lust and run toward righteousness, faith, love, and peace. 2 Timothy 2.22, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Notice, brothers and sisters, that the lusts mentioned here by the Apostle Paul are youthful lusts. Youthful lusts. Lust takes many forms, right? Sexual desires and an inordinate desire to never be proven wrong. Greed, materialism, just to name a few. Young men and women are particularly prone to the sway of lusts. Calvin gives this wonderful example that is proven true every day on social media. Calvin says, if some debate has arisen, young men more quickly grow warm and are more easily irritated, more frequently blunder through want of experience and rush forward with greater confidence and rashness than men of riper age. So, dear brothers and sisters, it's time to leave childish things, childish lusts, childish thoughts behind. Run from them. If lust is something that particularly plagues young men, it is doubly bad when an old man is still dragged around by sexual lust. Whatever form they take. And just like most things in the Christian life, one must not sweep out the bad and leave an un, you know, leave a vacuum in the heart. The longing for sin must be replaced with a longing to walk in the manner that our Savior walked. He pursued and loved and rejoiced in righteousness, faith, love, and peace. By the work the Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit in us and by mortifying power. He will work in us righteousness, faith, love, and peace. It should more and more mark our lives. Imagine your loved ones at your funeral. Imagine your loved ones at your funeral, and their only thought is how your death has freed you from your lusts. You know, he was just a a man who was given to his lusts, and, and now he's free from those lusts. 
How many funerals has this been the overwhelming sense that I've been a part of? What we should want is for those who are there to weep because their example of righteousness, faith, love, and peace has been taken away from them. Their example of Jesus Christ has been taken away from them. And so let that be our ambition, our sanctification. And that is the last one, fifth, pursue sanctification. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. This really is the goal of your life or ought to be year by year. As long as you have breath, we ought to desire to be at peace with others and to grow in our sanctification, our actual holiness. Being at peace with others means putting to death all those daily offenses we could keep a list of. It's just putting them away. It means covering a multitude of sins with love. It means pulling planks from our own eyes. It means forgiving other people real sins. You know, it, it, it does not mean approving of their sin, but it does mean forgiving them as God forgives them. We did just pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then finally, sanctification. Pursue holiness. Pursuing holiness takes work. The Christian life is a life of rigor. God saves us by his grace and his son, freeing us from the tyranny of the law. The law leads us to Christ as it teaches us the depths of our sin and then Christ saves us and leads us back to the law. Back to the law and the Holy Spirit and the renewal of the inner man creating us a delight in God's law. So avail yourselves of the means of grace. So many of us languish because we are lazy and refuse to give ourselves to the things of God. Are you struggling? Are you struggling right now, brothers and sisters. Well, have you been in the Word? Right? Are you failing? Have you prayed? Are you feeling defeated? Have you done the work of self-examination before we come to the table? Are you feeling empty? Have you worshipped? Have you raised your hands in worship to discipline yourself? So get to work. Get to work. Stop being lazy. I want to stop being lazy in the Christian walk. Get to work. I'm not telling you to earn your salvation and all that gobbledygook. I'm telling you to get to work in your sanctification, knowing that God will be at work in you. So fight, press on. So take a moment this week, add your own resolutions, customize these that I just gave to you, and let's pray for one another that we see this pursuit in the coming year. So he says, right, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.